This is the MagicWordPodcast.com. Hello, this is Scott Wells for the MagicWordPodcast.com. Wow, we've got uh, another exciting episode here this week, but I want to, first of all, thank the Friends of the Magic Ward. Those are the ones who, of course, help us with their financial pledges and their patronage uh, each month and help keep this podcast going. This week, I want to thank three people who are already Friends of the Magic Ward, and that is John Custer, Bill Flanagan, and Joe Hanasek. Thank you very much, guys, for your ongoing patronage by donating to the Magic Word podcast. I had published a video on YouTube recently and posted it in a few places, and they were the first ones to come to the aid, uh, financial aid, that is, uh, and answer the call and had sent some uh, uh, financial donations our way. So thank you guys very much. And for the rest of you, please consider if you have uh, the time and money to please help us with our ongoing efforts because we have ongoing expenses from month to month. Well, this coming week will be my birthday. That is on the 21st of November, on next Monday. And uh, to celebrate that, one of the things I'm going to do, I was asked by Jeff McBride to be, I guess, a guest faculty member or just a guest speaker, I guess, in this case. I would like to consider myself a faculty member, but that's maybe too much to wish for. It's such a prestigious uh, school that he runs, and I was so honored when he asked me to talk, and I will be discussing the Magic Word podcast about uh, how this has come about and some of the speakers we've had over the past, and I should say speakers, I mean the guests we've had certainly have been just phenomenal, some of the advice that they've given, and just take some questions from many of the people who are the students who tune in from week to week. This is something that Jeff has been doing for a very long time and I think has, I don't know, he's got 700 episodes or 600 or something like that, these Monday night online shows that have been recorded, so I'm very pleased and and honored and flattered uh, for him to have asked me and for me to uh, spend the time with uh, him and all of his listeners and guests. So if you are not a member and have not subscribed to his online school, it's worth going over to check out uh, his online school to see how that you can participate then as well. You will learn a lot, I am certain. His his school is uh, unparalleled and you don't have to be in Las Vegas to take classes. He teaches these online all day long and uh, for people all over the world. Well, anyhow, please join us if you can. That is going to be Monday, November 21st at the Jeff McBride Online School. This week, we are going to speak with another longtime friend, someone I've known since uh, the early 1980s, and that's David Ginn. I have to uh, thank him so much, as many of us do, because he has contributed so much to the world of children's entertainment with his books, his DVDs, his lectures, and as a dealer when he's gone around the world and helped to promote uh, entertainment for children, uh, whether it's going to be scout banquets or birthday parties. Uh, school shows, libraries, uh, whatever and wherever that children are congregated, whether their family shows are just exclusively for children, he's the one that has always been the guy. I would probably say whenever I was getting started in doing all of the birthday and children shows uh, that I was doing, uh, there was always at least one thing from his many books that I had to include. I, I, of course, each of us put our own spin on there, but a lot of times everything that he has said, the pattern that was included with the tricks were all excellent. I didn't have to add too much to it 
it because it was already perfect as it was. But just some great ideas, some things I still use even in adult shows uh, now, whether I'm performing for a corporate audience or whether I'm a trade show or cruise ship or wherever, uh, there are still things that will work perfectly that were taught in some of those books. I was amazed to think that he has over 100 books that he has authored, let alone the DVDs and everything else he's done. His volume of work is amazing. And so that's why I call him the king of kid shows, because he has done so many and contributed so much to all of us. In this uh, episode, you're going to be hearing him talk about someone else who was uh, his mentor and someone, I guess I should say, uh, person before him, and that is J.B. Bobo, who was a, uh, the king of the kid shows back in his day. And then he also, uh, for a while when he was in college, had um, befriended Doug Henning, and they traveled around uh, Europe, and he is writing a lot of these stories down now, which are published in the Linking Ring in his regular column that he publishes there, uh, along with several other stories. Well, there are some things here that he talks about this week that have not seen print and may not see print ever, uh, so uh, it's kind of behind the scenes. Uh, and also, he has uh, he wants to t- he talks a little bit about his revised website, which I would highly recommend that you would go and check that out, too, because he has a lot of free stuff that's there where that you can watch videos, you can watch some lectures, get some ideas and tips and everything. It's just amazing. He said, I'm not there to sell, I'm just there to offer the benefit of my knowledge and experience over the years. So I highly recommend that you go and check out his website, which is Gin Magic Shop. That's G-I-N-N magicshop.com. Go check it out. I think you'll be glad you did. Well, enough of this preamble. Let's get right into the meat of this episode. Please welcome my guest this week, the king of the kids shows, David Ginn, here on The Magic Word. We were in Atlanta, Georgia this week with our guest and I had to come all the way to Atlanta to, to uh, get a chance to see him. It's been a long number of years, too long of years. In fact, he came up behind me to uh, tap me on the shoulder and say hello. And, and uh, we first met in 1980, I think it was or so. And so we've uh, been friends for a long time, but don't get to see each other very often. And I say tap me on the shoulder. We are in Atlanta at the IBM convention. He lives in uh, Marietta, Georgia, which is a suburb. Is that right? Mar- Where are you actually? What's your Loganville? Loganville. Sorry. There's a big difference. Big, my mistake. I apologize. Here is my friend and yours, kid show extraordinaire, Mr. David Ginn. Hey there, David. Hello, Scott. Good to see you across the room. Yes, from across the room, and it's awfully good to spend a little bit of time up close and personal then with you to have a chance to talk about so many things. And, and boy, I, I don't know where to begin other than it's great to uh, to catch up with you because I do want to talk a little bit about Doug Henning because here we are at the IBM convention and talk a little bit about that and also about some other stuff. You've just completed this book during uh, the last couple of years of uh, lockdown, like the book that you put together is not a compendium of other books, or rather a reprint of other books. No, it's uh, not. So uh, you have been inspirational to me and to so many other magicians whose careers have been launched and have been successful and still use many of the things in the books I have, that you've written. I kind of jokingly early said, what have you had, about 15 or 20 books? And you said a little over 100. So how many books actually have you written? Oh, it's like 101 or two or three. Yeah. Uh, long ago, I thought to myself, wouldn't it be cool if I could write a hundred books, mm-hmm. and then year by year it got closer. And now I count my DVDs too because they sure. take writing, they take yeah. work, yeah, uh, and filming and acting and all that stuff. But uh, 
you know, I can't beat Ian Adair. He's written over 300 books. Oh, my goodness. General public and magician's books, pamphlets. So I'll, I'll never catch up with Ian Adair. Mm-hmm. But uh, was, was Abra one of his publications? No, no. That was a different, a different man. Okay. I mean, he wrote some things for Abra. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he and I talk about this from time to time, too. He's, he's still alive and relatively well. Mm-hmm. Over in, in England, England mm-hmm. taking it easy. Um, Do you travel much uh, anymore outside of the U.S.? I mean, you used to travel around the world, didn't you, doing some Well, I've, I've been to about 25 foreign countries where I lectured, mostly lecture tours, Hawaii mm-hmm. 10 times and only paid for it once. Mm-hmm. Um, the rest were all work-related, conventions, lectures, and that kind of thing. Right. And I've lectured in just about every uh, major city and minor city in the country. I've been to all 50 states and throw in Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've done a lot of foreign tours, you know, Italy, Spain, uh, France, uh, Germany, England, Scandinavia. And uh, now at, at this moment here in July of uh, 2022, this is the closest I've been to the airport in three years. We're, <laughs> we're right here at the airport hotel, Hilton. Yeah. And uh, I really don't care because I've, I've loaded suitcases and gone to the airport enough in my career. Uh, the pandemic kind of did me the favor of showing me what it would be like if I were not doing seven or eight school shows a week mm-hmm. because I built my career doing school shows, and at the height, I was doing over 400 a year. And then I slacked off and got to 300 and 250 and so forth. Uh, the year before the pandemic, I did 94. Uh, I stopped pushing so hard. I didn't have to do them, uh, but I still liked doing them. And then all of a sudden, uh, the bottom dropped out, and, uh, you know, all the performers in our country were out of work. Uh, you, In the county where I live, you literally could not go in and do any kind of program, puppets, uh, book talk, anything. Right. So they probably weren't even allowing parents into some of the schools. That was pretty sticky too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my my daughter's a music teacher at a school, and that first year I really couldn't go in there and sign in and go back and see her. Uh, sometimes I'd drop something off and at the front door or the back door, and that was about it. But uh, that gave me a chance to clean out the workshop, to throw out a lot of stuff. Uh, to do some writing, uh, to produce those stories about Doug Henning and me. Uh, mm-hmm. That was in a manuscript form for my second book that Mickey Hades published. And back in 1972, that is 50 years ago, he chose not to use the chapters about Doug Henning and me traveling around Europe together. Because you got you to understand, we were in nobody. This right. was my second book. And Doug, uh, he didn't come into play until doing little shows, right? Right. Yeah, that, he didn't get going till about seventy three, four, or five. I forgot. Which I think it was year. about seventy five. Before I get into that, though, by the way, that I like to ask people who ever have traveled as much and extensively at different places, uh, where your favorite location is. I mean, I've talked with several people who are cruise ship guys and also trade show guys who uh, work around the world, and they have some favorite places of like whether well, what I, is it. I've enjoyed England a whole lot, mm-hmm. common language, sort of. Exactly. I've enjoyed Blackpool as a convention better than anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you've got 3,500 magicians from all over the world uh, and you run a, even a single dealer booth, you're going to sell things. Right. If you have things that 
that are not card tricks. And I carry children's magic and stage magic. Yeah. And uh, so I stand out with this colorful line of uh, of tricks and things. And uh, I can carry 12 of a trick and start showing it after one after another and sell out the first day of that. And then I turn to another trick. So I've enjoyed that a lot. And plus, the last four or five times I've been to Blackpool, my grown daughter, the school teacher, has gone with me. And we've had a father-daughter week. And uh, that was good good for both of us you know she got to see what i do i mean she's been around it all my life but uh you know in her grown-up years to see that i have some respect uh in other parts of the world yes people think i'm somebody (laughs) (laughs) and if you ask my wife i'm the guy who's supposed to be home carrying out the garbage yeah of course but yeah england would be my top i've enjoyed australia and new zealand once again, common languages help a lot too. Yeah, that does help. Yeah, uh, but I've learned I've learned to lecture in any language uh, with a translator. I mean, I've lectured in Spain, Spanish, Italy, uh, Germany, right, with a translator, and uh, I I got into a certain rhythm. I guess I've had a translator at least a hundred times. And over the years, the kinds of things you sell, of course, are. I would say proprietary. There are things that are from your show there, used commercial kind of uh, things that you recommend and uh, it, it, and you well, manufacture yourself for the most part, right? Generally, I base what I sell, yeah. at least on those tours, on things that I've used myself in yeah. hundreds of shows. And yeah. therefore, when I show them, I'm showing you the routine I use. Mm-hmm. Uh, give you an example. Now, my wife, Lynn, and daughter, Autumn, when she was, uh, Autumn was about mm, 10 years old, they went on a lecture tour with me all over Germany. I think that was, uh, what year would that have been? Uh, 90-something. Uh, anyway, maybe Autumn was more like 13, 14. Anyway, I brought on that tour 15 of the Peachy King sponge birthday cakes. They fit into a 6-inch Marcy Dove pan. Mm-hmm. So you... Pretend to be cooking a cake when you lift the lid off of the dove pan. Here's a 15-inch tall cake. And I took 15 of those, and a, a fellow I knew there who kind of engineered the tour said, David, I don't know how well these are going to go. I said, why not? He said, this is obviously an American birthday cake. Uh, a German birthday cake is one layer, about four inches tall, basically kind of flat. It doesn't have layer on layer the way no that, layer okay. on layer. And it's not necessarily colorful. Like this was like red and yellow and green and I remember that. a purple okay, sure. candle. Well, I sold all fifteen of them. I mm-hmm. did. I did seven or eight lectures. I sold basically basically about two per lecture. But there's another part of that. I had been doing Dan Garrett's banana trick, multiple oh, sure. bananas, starting oh around 1978. Whenever Dan started making them, he could hardly keep those things in I stock. Saw, he made. I think he estimated he made 100,000 of them. That's probably a fair estimate. Yeah. With a, an electric knife. And he painted them, too. So many times that I have seen him at my house, and he's there with scissors making these things. Well, just well, let me tell you what really <laughs> happened. Now I know when the tour was. The tour was the spring of 90. Okay. The Berlin Wall came down in 1989, November of 89. Okay. So four months later, we made this lecture tour in in, in March. And my wife and daughter were with me on that. They would help me sell, and they would go off and do other things while I'm lecturing because they've seen it over and over. Yeah. I took 100 sets of Dan Garrett's bananas, 100 sets. I had about 20 sets of his multiplying carrots. It's the same trick, yep. just a carrot. Yep. 
and 10 sets of pickles. Okay. Now, let me tell you what happened in reverse order. I sold <laughs> one set of pickles. The whole tour? Ten. Oh, the I whole tour. I came home with 10. I wow. came home with nine. Nine, yeah. My friend told me that German people do not like to do magic tricks with food that they touch that goes into their mouth. You pick up a pickle well, by that's your hand, interesting. you eat it, you're touching it. Germs, dirty, I don't know. But so he, so Tom Mollica's right. act probably would not have gone over there when he's doing the cigarettes and mouth and all that kind of stuff. Well, that, that's different. Because <laughs> this has like an oral fixation the, the thing. Carrots, all the carrots sold 20 sets because of the rabbit association oh. in magic. Yeah. But what about the bananas? 100 sets of bananas, and that's what I showed. Mm-hmm. I just said I also have carrots and pickles. Every set of bananas sold. Mm-hmm. All 100 of them probably could have sold another 20 or 30. But I was averaging selling, what would that be, about 15 sets per lecture. Mm-hmm. Why? Here's why. In November of 89, when the Berlin Wall was torn down, for the first time in all those years, the East Germans could come across the border, mm-hmm. cross mm-hmm. into West Germany, right. and buy fresh produce. Oh, that's interesting. And what was the number one item that they couldn't get in East Germany but bananas. could in West? And it was bananas. Now, that is a fascinating so story. So here I am four months after that happened doing a trick with the bananas. Every German guy who bought it would be playing off that fact that was intrinsic in the people who lived there. They mm-hmm. didn't have to explain it. Pull out the bananas, and we couldn't get these for a long time, but, man, we can get them left and right now. Boom, boom. And then you change. Wow. I was changing the bananas into a big banana, about 18 inches long, a big yeah. sponge banana. And uh, I probably only had a dozen of those. Oh, they were gone the first lecture. Uh-huh. So, uh um, wow! Something that I just took for granted that I got used all the time. I'm at home. I buy bananas twice a week. I eat a banana every morning with my cereal. But if they are something that are almost forbidden fruit, if you would, quite literally, well, <laughs> they didn't have an Easter. They just couldn't get it. You know, they yeah. couldn't cross over the Berlin Wall and right. And and but I but noticed, even though that is a food you eat with your hand, you do have to peel it to get to it. Yeah, but you're not touching the touching banana. the uh, you, actual. You can if you want to. Yes. but you usually hold the peeling the or you slice it and put it on your cereal and you right. eat it with a spoon. Right, right. So, and the carrot. Interesting. Put that, that aside. Carrots you can eat with your hand, but rabbits eat carrots. Now, when we were talking a little bit earlier, I had uh, said you were the modern-day J.B. Bobo because uh, Bobo had been traveling about doing school shows just much like you had. And he was traveling pretty much in an area throughout Texas and uh, the South. And uh, then he wrote the seminal book on coin magic, and he had another book you were talking about then as well. The Bobo Magic Show. Magic Show, which essentially was his show. And school so, show. yeah. And But go ahead and tell the story. He had 500 – excuse me. He had five different school shows. And year one, he would do show number one. Next year, he'd rotate to two, three, four, and five. And by the time he got back around to one, pretty much the elementary school, which was generally K through five, the kindergartners are now in the fifth grade. They forgot the show from five years ago. Sure. So he would occasionally add stuff in. I knew Bobo. And um, he and I were sitting at a convention one time, and he said, David, in fact, it was before he wrote his kid show book, and... uh, it was in 1980 when I had published Gene Gordon's book. And I said, I would like to do your book just like Gene Gordon's, give it first-class treatment and all. And he said, I've already kind of made a commitment to Francis Marshall at Magic mm-hmm. Incorporated, and they're going to do it. And uh, they didn't do it the way I would have done it. Um, 
but what's done is done. Sure. However, he said to me, he says, you know what? I knew that I had reached a certain plateau when I started pulling into a school and there's a sign out front that today at 10 a.m. is the Bobo Magic Show. It didn't say magic show. It said Bobo Magic Show. Huh. And I'd see on the school calendar it said Bobo Magic Show, 2 o'clock Wednesday. And uh, that was a very interesting comment to me because in 80 I had been doing school shows for seven seven, eight, nine years. I've been out of the Army in, since 71. And about five years later, I started arriving at some schools, and the sign out front would say, say David Gunn Magic Show, 10 a.m. Wednesday. Uh, I would go into schools, and I'd be standing there talking to a secretary and look down on her calendar, which had things written on it, and I'd see not Magic Show written on it, but David Ginn Amazing. written on it. Yeah. And, and what Bobo said came back to me. Now, Bobo, in his early days, uh, th- there are differences between him and me. He, you know, he made it up. He made up what he did. I developed what I did. Uh, he would get up at 4 in the morning, drive with his wife Lillian for two or three hours, stop and eat breakfast somewhere, and then go on and do two or three school shows one day, and then drive all the way back home. They virtually never stayed in motels overnight. Hmm. They were not going to spend the money. Uh, so they were what they were called 100 milers, I guess, or whatever, you kind of within yeah, a certain... They went more like 200 miles. Okay. Back. But in his Always early come back. days, hmm. the way he collected all those tricks for the coin book, Modern Coin Magic, he met magicians along the way, mm-hmm. And uh, they showed him tricks, you know, because he was out on the road. Uh, and they'd show him tricks after shows, you know, maybe have dinner together before he went to the next town or, or the next morning. And so he collected all this material and, and, and wrote the book. By the same token, Gene Gordon, back in the 20s and 30s, traveled all over the country doing magic shows with some other performers. And he would meet magicians all over. And he, of course, had already started the IBM with Len Ventus. Len Ventus. But Len stayed in an office in uh, Winnipeg, Canada, for the most part. He was not traveling. Hmm. And Gene, in the first year or two, told me that he signed up over 700 people, magicians, to join the IBM back in 22 and 23 because he met so many of them out on the road. Right, and that's the way the organization really got started. Is by him taking the magic to the to the cities and actually yeah, signing them up in schools. He, he he played Gene Gordon played Hollywood High School, if wow. you can believe that. Hmm. And he said back in like 1930 when he played it, they had a couch that would seat maybe four people, a couch, okay. a sofa, yeah, sitting in the middle of the stage, and the principal. An assistant and, and a couple of other fuddy-duddies would come up and sit on the couch and face the audience behind the performer in order to keep the audience in control. And he had to do his show in front of these people, Wow, which I would find awfully intimidating. It would be because they're trying to make sure that they're disciplining the kids not to get out of control, and yep. yet you're trying to get them with to laugh and have a good time. Right, right. Uh, wow. I wish I could have been there. But, uh, what an interesting situation that was. Bobo, you know, Bobo did a lot of stuff. I saw him lecture and show some of the stuff I've seen him perform. And, uh, yeah, he. What was his era, would you say? He was probably 40s to the 60s? Late 30s, 40s, 50s, 
sixties. I, I think in the seventies, eighties, maybe he was still doing some shows. Uh, Lily and his wife, mm-hmm. uh, he, he, she was hardly on stage. She would walk out and take things away, bring things to him. But he did the whole show, mm-hmm. and she packed up. By the time the show was over, within five minutes, they could close up their suitcases, walk out the door. Because she was packing as he was finishing she was each packing trick. Packing as they went. In other words, he wouldn't do a trick. Uh, there was a whole lot of reset as the last trick. Mm-hmm. You know, he might do linking rings at the end, and then he should throw them right. The Did he live in Texarkana for some reason? I Texarkana, was thinking. Texarkana. Yeah. I don't know whether it's Texas or Arkansas because it, yeah, right. That town is divided Correct. by two states. Kind of like Kansas City. But uh, one of my, one of my pleasures was way back um, on one of those lecture tours. I'd say eighty five, six, seven. I, I actually lectured in Texarkana. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had a big crowd of eight people, <laughs> and two of those people were Bobo and Lillian. Wow! Uh, sitting on the front row and enjoying yeah. it. He probably bought a few things, you know. Yeah. But, uh, uh, he saw something in me that pleased him. Wow! Uh, maybe I was just a, a younger version of him, you know, sure. breaking into the school show market. Sure. And uh, I traveled in my career over the entire state of Georgia. Uh, a little bit into Alabama, Tennessee, Carolina, but uh, you pretty much stayed to the south. Yes, uh, I mean I've done school shows as far away as Vancouver or Calgary, Alberta, Canada. I've done one in Hollywood or L.A. You know, when I was off doing the conventions, my would you come do a school show? And so mm-hmm. I would. Uh, it's much easier doing those at home when I have my own car, my own sound system, sure, my own rabbit my own equipment uh you know once you start flying to do something elsewhere you've got to cut things like that out at at home i can carry anything i want i was carrying stocks of zanzibar for Mm -hmm. instance the first time i carried it i dismantled it every time stupid (laughs) uh about 10 years later i recycled it i put it together at the beginning of the year and laid it in the back of the car and took it out completely assembled uh one year i carried a, a Mac Magic um, Princess Flying Carpet. I just threw a big cover over it, told the boys to carry it in. Uh, they always gave me students to unload. I said, carry this table in and put it in the middle of the stage. Yeah. And then I'd float a little girl on it while playing uh, Phantom of the Opera song, Music of the Night. Music of the Night, right. Very dramatic. Mm-hmm. And, and I played that as a dramatic thing. Mm. But uh, most of the school shows I did alone uh, back in the 70s, up till about 81, but about my first 10 years, for high schools, I carried an assistant. And we did the sword basket, sub trunk, uh, a blade box, depending on which year, only one illusion per show. Yes. Uh, the rest was all audience participation, pretty much. Things like that. Mm-hmm. But after about 81, uh, I found it was just easier to do school shows, whether it be high school, middle, or whatever, by myself. What kind of a vehicle did you drive, or did you have a van that uh, uh, you pulled behind you, a fifth days, wheel? No, or? I never pulled it. Uh, when we did a big illusion show back in the late 80s and 90s, I did pull a trailer hmm. because we carried seven illusions. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but no, I worked out of a car or a station wagon or a minivan, you know. Okay. Most of the stuff fitting fit in the back 
and I either carried birds or rabbits. With the number of miles, you were traveling back and forth, and it sounds like you were kind of doing what Bobo was and going back home a lot in the evening then as well. I was going back home all the time. So how often did you have to change vehicles? Did you trade every other year or something, or how often oh, did you? three or four years. Oh, you kept it for I, like I over 100,000. for two and three years and had a new car every three years. So how many 100,000 miles did you put on those vehicles? I have no idea. I think the, the longest I kept one was about 170,000 miles. Oh, okay. Interesting. I'm not a mechanic, so I, I didn't – I don't even change my own oil. Yeah, well, me either. I don't anymore. apologize for that. It's just I don't. I yeah. don't do those things like yeah. that. you got to know what you know. Well, now, when we were talking about traveling, and earlier you had alluded to uh, traveling with Doug Henning, and this was before that he was uh, well-known uh, then as well. So, uh, I, And I also know that you have an article that is in the uh, Linking Ring that runs on a regular basis. How long has that been running? The well, uh, series, or, or you have to go back to the fact that Bell Bergeron was writing a yeah, monthly column, cutting up jackpots, yeah, and then he passed away. Mm -hmm. And uh, Sammy said, "Can you write me a couple things to fill in?" So I wrote him four articles about four people that I knew, yeah, and stories about them. Those were Bell Bergeron, Mark Wilson, Gene Gordon, and Harold Taylor, and. He knew about this Doug Henning Association, oh, 25 years ago, and had asked me if I'd eventually write it, and I said, I, I don't think I want to do that because I don't want to make it like I'm trying to uh, ride on Doug Henning's coattails. Mm -hmm. I've never promoted our friendship. Uh, or used it for any marketing advantage or – No, I've yeah. never – yeah, ne never. I'm not that kind of person. You know? I know. I'm, I'm not the magician – uh, who will go and do a celebrity party for uh, some movie star or something and get my picture taken with that person mm -hmm. so that I'll become famous by association. Yes. Uh, Unlike Uri Geller. You know, Uri Geller had told me that he eventually he wanted people to say, who is that with Marilyn Monroe or whoever? But then eventually they would want people to say, who is that with Uri Geller? Yeah. <laughs> I, I just, I don't, I've never liked that approach. Okay. I, I haven't, I mean, uh, I was in the Army with... Uh, the guy who was a member of the four-man group called the Tokens, the Lion Sleeps Tonight, mm -hmm. and he and I were friends. Um, another guy who worked with with me in the Army was Joel Higgins, who was on Silver Spoons with Ricky Schroeder mm -hmm. and made a big hit in Broadway shows and whatnot. And, you know, uh, I just don't make a big deal out of that. Yeah, right. Because to me, they're just regular – People. So you didn't want to talk necessarily about Doug Henning and his shape. But the Doug Henning thing, fi finally, you know. Uh, You'd written about that already, it sounded like, and Mickey Hades said, well, cut I, that I out. Well, I wrote it 50 years ago. Yeah. And Mickey Hades didn't want to put it in the book. Yeah. And he told me, he says, this is just a travelogue about two college boys, and nobody knows Doug Henning. He says, I know him, but uh, nobody knows him, so it, it doesn't have the meaning. And then during the pandemic, I dug those chapters out as I was literally cleaning and throwing things out, yeah. recycling papers. And uh, I s told Sammy I'd found them. The, the stories ran about 60 or 80 typed pages. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I am blessed with a long memory. That's what I call it. My grandfather had it. I'm sure my dad did. I suspect my daughter may. But I remember things in detail way mm -hmm. back. And uh, so when I decided I would do those stories because I had time on my hands during the pan pandemic, right, right. I just started in chronological order and uh, wrote them 
and I had three references. I had the manuscript I wrote 50 years ago. I had my diary that I carried with me on the trip. It was a day-to-day diary, what I ate, what train we got on, all kinds of observations, and I had a little notebook, too, that I wrote things in, too. So with those three things and my memory, which kicked in and things came back to me, Mm -hmm. and the beautiful thing is the Internet now. For instance, I was writing out Doug and I, Followed the Arthur Fromer book, Europe on $5 a day. I did, too. It worked. 1972, we did, my buddy and I uh, spent the summer over there, and, yep, 5 bucks a day when we could and eat. like yeah. Later, they went to, it went 10 to 15 a day, yep, and then yep. it became 40 Now, what year would this have been, you and Doug were? 66 was okay. our year. Okay. Well, the point is, uh, that book told us where to go, what to do. We used it uh, as, a, as a guide, and... Um, So, you're talking about the internet, so you're able to. Oh, going back to the internet. Yeah, I don't want to get sidetracked. See, now, for instance, Doug and I, when we're in Paris, we toured the sewers of Paris, Hmm. which at that time, 7 30 in the morning, you had to be there. You get on a boat, you go down a staircase down underground, Mm -hmm. you get in a boat, and for a mile, you ride through the sewers and don't put your hands in the water because it's not water. It's sewage. It's brown sewage. Okay. Uh, there was even a sign down there. It says something like Jean Valjean was here from Les Miserables. Hmm. But these are the sewers that supposedly Jean Valjean had carried Marius through to save his life during the revolution. Hmm. Well, uh, where am I going to get a picture of that? You know, D- Doug and I didn't take many pictures of each other on the trip yeah. because if You're I hand you the camera, you might run off with it. Oh, <laughs> my dad's camera. Anyway, I thought about that. Uh, I went yeah. on the internet. I typed in in Google Paris sewer tour 1966. Yeah, and bam, up comes photos, black and white, wow. of people standing in line, people in the boats, and I was able to incorporate that in the story. Mm-hmm. And Fromber says, you've got to be there at 7.30 that morning. Because it fills up otherwise. And that was the day yep. we went to see a magician in a nightclub. And we didn't get back into our hotel room till 1 in the morning. And we've got to be at that thing at 7.30 in the morning. And we were, you know, because we were 19 and 20. He was 19, I was 20. And uh, the tour was over in 10 minutes. But uh, what a memory. And then all these years later, I see Les Miserables and in movies and, and the musical yeah. and going like, I was there. Was there, yeah. And Doug is, was there. And uh, I wonder if our clothes smelled after the tour. <laughs> well, how did you meet Doug to begin with? I mean, how did that association come about? I we mean, he's from Canada the, and you're from Georgia. I mean, goodness sakes. Yeah, we were both at New York IBM convention in 64, and we never met each other. Weird. Yeah. We talked about that later. The following year, there was a Southeastern Magicians Convention in Chattanooga. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was like August of uh, 65. And we met each other. D- Doug was wearing a sport coat, uh, basically short hair, mm-hmm. you know, combed with the brill cream look, and he wore glasses. Did you have a mustache, I think, back then? No mustache. No, no, okay. No facial hair. And we met. We were... You know, we started talking about what he did, what I did, back and forth. And we got to the key point. One of us said, well, I'm going to go on a tour of Europe next summer. 
And the other one said, and I don't know which one said it, well, so am I. And then one of us said, why don't we just go together? Mm-hmm. It was like, bing. And so uh, we started corresponding after that, phone calls, planned the whole thing, booked the tickets. He had to come a week later. Than I, so I visited some relatives in Scotland before he showed up. That's when the real trip started, when we were together. Yeah. And uh, we did all those things that uh, you read in the linking ring from um, June of 21 to March, their 10 installments, pretty much true. I polished some of them up. I didn't tell some things that we shouldn't tell. Uh, well, I was about to say, there are some things outside that. that We c- did not do anything really bad. Yeah, but there are some things perhaps that weren't part of the story that you read. Yeah. I mean, people can go to the linking ring and read those, but can you share any stories that perhaps you didn't have time to write about or something that was no, not included? There, there's some things I just didn't want to mention. Can uh, you talk about it here or not? No? No, I'd rather not okay. talk about them here. Okay. If, if indeed I write, uh, I think... After I finish the book I'm on, uh, good Lord willing, I'll write another book Mm -hmm. along that line, but it'll be more of a memoir with some good tricks in it, but it'll have more stories about this. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are things that you just wouldn't want to put in the linking ring uh, due to political correctness. But, you know, uh, the story I told is pretty much what happened. Uh, I'm still wondering... When we met these two, uh, let's, well, we were t- practically teenagers. I was only 20 by mm-hmm. uh, three weeks. Oh. So we're teenagers, and uh, it's 11 o'clock at night, waiting to get on the midnight train from Bergen, Norway, back down to Copenhagen, 10-hour train ride. And here are two attractive, 60s, mini-skirted, Norwegian girls mm-hmm. in the train station at eleven o'clock at night. And they were sixty years. They were older, and they're like seventeen years old. Oh, 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 oh okay. And Doug and I are showing them magic tricks, mm-hmm. and all these years later, I wonder why they were there. Why were they walking around <laughs> the train station? I do not know the answer. Uh, you can make up an answer if you if you want to, but uh, they wanted to know if they could go with us said not not this time uh they wanted to travel with you or just be oh, with yeah, you for the night to get on the train and go with us if we paid for it of course and uh i think we, we had a compartment reserved a sleeping compartment uh th- those birds are a little bit small so we and they knew that four people in our <laughs> compartment and we didn't want to get into anything that we uh would would be embarrassed about later so we just <laughs> said goodbye and yeah but he showed them the thumb thumb trick where you stick your thumb in on a little piece of paper and you make their card appear. And they were squealing, just like I wrote in the article. They, they were jumping up and down. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it was kind of like a flirtation thing, the whole thing. Well, uh, I, I would think that they would probably jump and squeal just about everything, it sounded like, because they were... Yeah, of course. And we yeah. were... They, they spoke some English, you yeah. know. And we were American boys. So. Did you show magic around as you were traveling at different uh, oh, yeah, stops people, and restaurants? And uh, did you get free kids, stuff like uh, free kids dinners? Showed us tricks on the train. Uh, but the, one of the big things that happened was that we made it to to the Netherlands, and we went to Hank Vermaden's magic shop. Wow! Mm-hmm. And met him, and he was very nice to us. Mm-hmm. And after we'd been talking for ten minutes, he said, are, "Are you guys going to the convention?" 
And, of course, you and say, go, what convention? What convention? <laughs> he says, in two weeks from now, there's a convention in Italy, and he told us where to, He says, I'm going. There'll be people from all over Europe. And we, on the spot, changed our itinerary so that we could route ourselves to that town in Italy on the day the convention started. Mm-hmm. And Hank Vermaiden made us a hotel reservation. You know, he, he fixed it all up for us and... Uh, never saw him after that, but he was very kind to us. He became, I think he was a president of FISM or FISM, something that's like right, that. he was. And uh, uh, also he was known, I believe, as um, a consultant and uh, magic teacher Yes, as well. So, uh, but Very nice guy to us. And, of course, there we met Pavel and saw him do blow tie. Remember that the trick where you blow the three silks out of the tube? Yes. They come down yes. and tie together. Mm-hmm. He showed that in his lecture, uh, which was in French. In Italy, mm-hmm. so they had an Italian translator, and he spoke French. So how was I to understand that? <laughs> well, that is a very good trick. In fact, uh, speaking of trick, that Trixie Bond uh, well, markets that she does that as part of her her show. D- Doug mm-hmm. had some French, being Canadian, you know, they're bilingual yeah. country. Yeah, and he leans over to me and said. He's using those little rubber bands you put on braces. You know, people wear braces. Mm-hmm. Got have little, little rubber bands. Right. I go, oh, oh. And so, you know, we went home. It was shown. It was not for sale. It was just shown mm-hmm. a technique. And I went home and used it for six years before it came on the market. Mm. I did it everywhere. Yeah. So we just had all kind of great adventures. That, But that uh, we sat around. We only found four or five people who spoke English at that convention. But one of them was Fred Capps. So we sat around one night and talked to Fred Capps. Wow, what an experience. Uh, I told that story in the book. Uh, we met the, met the guy in the hallway in Paris, that, uh, the guy who played Jim Bowie on TV, you know, with the big Bowie knife. Big Bowie knife, yeah. Uh, we just we got a, a lot of fun. We didn't know what we were doing, <laughs> except and, learning. It, so that was just one summer of... Uh, Magic immersion, and you met other magicians along the way. You just had yep. and everything then too, yep. uh, and so in later years, obviously, you continued, I guess, uh, correspond with him. And then when he hit it big in '75 on Christmas Eve or whenever that this television show was, I know Chip Romero saying, "Scott, don't you remember?" If he's listening to this, because Chip Romero is the yeah, Doug well, Henning guy, of course. Knows the exact date, but uh, <laughs> <knows> the, <laughs> we met one fellow in Copenhagen who invited us out to his house the next night. We had went to his house and had something to drink and talked magic for two or three hours with, with him and his wife. And uh, over 50 years later, I went over there to do a little mini tour of the Scandinavian countries. Yeah. And he picked me up at the airport, and I reminded him about who it was who was really at his house. And that happened s- several times uh, that I said... To another guy, I said, do you remember these two college students coming to see you yeah. back in that summer? He said, vaguely, yeah. I said, well, I was one of them, but the other one was Doug Henning. He couldn't believe it. <laughs> you know, so, so you never know. He's got a story. Those people step. have stories you have to uh, tell me, then later. I want to get into something about the website. Yeah. My website, and, and let me uh, make this pl- very cl- plain up front. I don't try to sell anybody anything. Uh-huh. I don't push magic on it. I don't want you to buy this. Uh, this is not a commercial. But uh, a friend of mine who, who's here at this convention suggested this, oh, 10 years ago. And about a year ago, my old website crashed. 
and disappeared. It's gone. Mm -hmm. We don't want to get into the story about it, but it's gone. So Marty Hahn built me a new one last September. So it it hasn't even been up a year. And we added all this stuff to it. There are commercial products, yes, for sale. You can order them. But there's more. What What I've added in there, well, there's something like 200 videos that are teaching videos. Okay teaching you how to do tricks or showing you performances. There are videos of people like some of these people I met on that European tour and saw at that convention. I found videos of them, and they're posted on the site. You can watch them for free. Hmm. There are over a 100 things to read. There are complete books. Some of my out-of-print books are on there, Uh, books that are long out-of-print. There's a book, a gospel magic book there from 1924. I found the manuscript. I put it free on the site so they're free things to read and study uh a half a dozen lectures uh, i've got a bev bergeron lecture that he he did uh, i've got a very short that was the one Hooper. that has the uh, uh cross or tic-tac-toe thing in it is it no, no? It's, okay because he had another set of it's, lectures it's snakes and stage oh okay rebo yep uh, never mind i got a, a short lecture of edwin hooper the mastermind behind supreme magic doing a lecture mm-hmm. and these are all on the website free and the website by the way is called gin magic shop.com gin my last name g-i-n-n g-i-n-n gin magic shop.com and you just go to the home page scroll to the bottom past the products and here are all these categories good reads free lectures free books interesting videos Strange pictures. <laughs> you get some humor in that one. Okay. I have a photo collage of my mentors in magic. Another photo collage of 50 floating photos, including David Copperfield uh, floating a girl while Copperfield is standing on a table and she's floating in the air. Yeah. And sitting below looking is Ab Dixon, Max Maven. I forgot who else. And David's parents are sitting there. But these are all free things. Yeah. So you can go to the website and learn stuff that you can study and use and not pay a cent. And again, that's called Gen... Gen Magic Shop. Magic Shop. .com. Okay. Yep. I I wanted to point that out because what what I wanted to do with the website, since we had to redo the whole thing, is I wanted to give back. You know, I've been blessed with a lot of people sharing with me. Mm-hmm. Harold Taylor, I mean, Mark Wilson, uh, that's another whole story, how I worked for Mark Wilson for two weeks when I was in college. Two weeks? Two weeks. Like at a theme park? Or he were came you... to the Southeastern Fair in Atlanta, uh-huh. was one assistant short. They called the Magic Club. Do you have, like, a college student who could come work? They called me at school, said, can you get out? I said, yes. I did not consult anybody. I just said, yes. Of course you do. And I called up my mom and dad and say i'm going to come home uh for 10 days in october and work for mark wilson and i went to my professors uh if if a professor and none of them did i first of all at the time they knew who mark wilson was because he'd been on network tv for five years yeah and they knew that i was a magician so none of them uh put any stops on me they told me what to do i said i'll be gone i'll be back here and i worked as the uh Low man on the totem pole assistant. Mm-hmm. But we had a lot of adventures. Uh, I wrote some of those adventures uh, in the 
February and March issues of the Linking Ring of 21. I went with Bev Bergeron, the Rebo, down to see the uh, girl to gorilla. I wrote a whole story about that. Mm-hmm. That was an experience. And about Mark Wilson uh, floating the very heavy person. Okay. We, we couldn't say this in the linking ring. We were trying to be PC, but <laughs> she was a very large lady. Yeah. And it it ruined the Super X. It, it bent? bent the thing. <laughs> and one of the the other guy assistant and I had to pack it up and ship it back to California. Well, who and put I, her on there? I mean, was it Mark's fault or who? I she mean, was they, the president of an organization. Oh, so they insisted they have and her. They wanted him to uh, float the president. Uh, and he didn't look at her ahead of time. I see. And when Bev looked out there and saw her, he knew. He knew we were in trouble. Yeah. So we got the picture taken, <laughs> but we shipped it back to California. And that was 1968. I, I was out of the castle in, in uh, 2018, mm-hmm. and I went to visit Mark and Nani and son Greg. Yeah. And one of the things I said to him, I said, uh, whatever happened to that Super X? Because this is a hun- big hunk of metal. Let's be, it was, yeah. you know, steel. Yeah. He said, David, we never could fix it. We literally took it out back and threw it in the dumpster. Wow. He said, however, we built one later that completely folded up and went into a suitcase so wow. we could go to China and do the Super X in China. Mm-hmm. But it was engineered so it fit in one suitcase and didn't weigh over 50 pounds. And... uh uh, they showed that to me. And, uh, and it was also, I assume, able to accommodate a little bit larger load. Yeah. A, t- a Super X is supposed to hold... About 150, right? 150. Mm-hmm. I would never put anybody... The girls I did on one way back, 105, 110, 115, sure. right in there. You're using small children uh, for the most part. And also the same thing like, what is that one, the uh, Floating Indian Princes or whatever with the... Uh, that you got the little trifold thing and you move that out of the way um, and there's, she's on a sword or the, something. The princess flying carpet. Yeah, flying carpet. That's, yeah, that's, that's, sec, that's also I saw like... one here at the convention and the guy who bought it has a, uh, a little girl who's, she's 12, but she's a small 12. Mm-hmm. She's a sixth grader. Because that's something it does. It because she can hold. sit on there across her legs. It right. looks real, real cute. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've used one of those at a birthday party. But, but you I've, never did tour with that on your school shows? I used it in school shows for okay. one year. Oh, just yeah, one year. I used to try to – my show changed every year, mm-hmm. and so I'd try to carry something different every year. And I picked up one used at a Magic Club auction and uh, performed it every show for one year. What about library shows? Were those a big deal when you were really in your prime as far as – I mean, they are today. I, I did or? some back in 78 and 9, and then – uh, sometime in the late 80s, I started doing a whole lot. I started marketing for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now a lot of people are doing them. Yeah. In, in the Atlanta area, I bet there are 10 different magicians. Right, making a living of that. a lot of other kind of performers. Ken Scott, Arthur mm-hmm. Atzba, um, Bill Packard. Some of them are at the convention here. Uh, they're doing them. But you were one of the groundbreakers, I assume, in that. Yeah, I would say so. Mm-hmm. Uh, one summer, I worked 82 of them. I think Ken Scott's done like 110. Uh, but about four years ago, I just got tired. This is before the pandemic. I got yeah. tired of loading and unloading in 95-degree mm-hmm. weather in Georgia. <laughs> yeah. You get into the library, it's air-conditioned, fine. When the show's over... By the time I load it out, I'm dripping wet. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, 
I'm over 70 years old now. It's time to back out of something. And I just decided voluntarily I don't want to do those anymore. The I, library shows. You're I, still I mean, doing assemblies? Uh, I'm not assemblies, doing library shows. But you're doing assembly, school assemblies? Uh, not really. Okay. I, I'm doing a few shows here and there. You, you pick and choose. But the pandemic kind of put the school assemblies to the end. Mm-hmm. Plus, I, I've been doing this for over 50 years. You don't need to, but you still like to. I was in the like Army until I was 25 years old. Mm-hmm. So uh, the pandemic has made it easy to stay home and uh, do mail order yeah. and shoot videos down there of products that I'm selling and uh, do the occasional show. Now, I do not like to do Zoom shows, though. Why not? There's your audience. That brick wall right there. That brick wall. That's your audience. Okay. Did they laugh? Did they clap? Did they yeah. react in any way? Because they're muted. You can't tell. Yeah. I see. So I, I did about four the first year, and I was not happy. I spent a lot more time getting ready for them than I would for a normal show. Yeah. And it just didn't pay off inside of me. Hmm. It was not even a money thing. If you'd said, David, I got 10 Zoom shows and pay you $1,000 each, I would say, no, thank you. Wow. Okay. I didn't feel good inside of myself. Mm-hmm. So it's not as interactive as you would want it to be. Live audience yeah. is, is what I want to do. Exactly. Uh, you mentioned earlier when we were talking before we started chatting here on, online on the microphone, and that is about John Booth and your relationship with him and how that he had inspired you then also to start writing and the books that he had written uh, that you kind of patterned your initial book after then too. John Booth's book. Marvels of Mystery was the first great book of magic I ever read, cover to cover, and repeated readings. Mm-hmm. And learning the tricks, he was writing from experience. Everything in there he did, show after show. Mm-hmm. When I wrote my first book in college, I was a grad student, Colorful Magic, and came out in 69. I told John Booth later when I met him at the castle. That is my version of Marvel's a mystery. I was mm-hmm. trying to do the same thing you did because you were my mentor without even knowing me. I was trying to write from experience, and that's the way I've pretty much done all of my writing my whole career, mm-hmm. written from experience. And there's, I'm not the guy who will make up a trick today and publish it tomorrow. Right. I make it the trick up, and then I put it through 300 school shows, and I polish it or I toss it out. Hmm. And have there been things that you have created and just didn't like or didn't think it was worthy of sure. publishing? Yeah, Interesting. it just didn't. So I, I don't write about those things unless there's a point to be made. Sure. Uh, and the point would be don't do it this way. Mm-hmm. So I've tried to write from experience. And uh, as Mario, the maker magician, said in his show the other day, when his teacher told him as a kid, when you grow up, do what you love well that's the way it's turned out for me my hobby of magic at age 12 turned into my occupation sure but i didn't count on the writing and uh you had a journalism background by the way journalism background so i recall that helped with the writing but Mm -hmm. you know the writing is also it's inside of me i'm a big reader Mm -hmm. i'm never without reading a book and sometimes i read several at one time but all of that uh helps me be a better writer sure and uh the other really important thing i learned in college in one of my english courses was the concept of writing the way you talk 
Mm-hmm. And that's what I do. Uh, a guy said to me one time, he said, I've read several of your books, and I could not understand hmm. the, the lingo, the way you said the words in your books. And then I heard you lecture, and I realized that you're writing the way you talk. I said, exactly. Yeah. Because if I can stand up here and talk and explain to you how to do this silk trick, and I write it down the same way, yeah. you can somebody can read it without knowing me and read it and understand. Yeah, if you can so, understand it in a lecture, the way I'm explaining it with words, exactly. verbally, yeah, then so you I should be able to. That's very important. In fact, I'm right now reading the memoir by James Patterson, mm-hmm. who is technically the best-selling best author currently. in the world. Yeah. And he starts out by saying, I write the way I talk. I'm going, well, of course. I've read probably a dozen of his books over the mm-hmm, years, sure. and they're very easy to read mm-hmm. because he's doing what I've just said. He's writing the way he talks. Right. So. I think uh, I, I've heard this before. There are some people who are keynote speakers who have books they sell that have essentially been transcribed from some of their lectures. Yeah. So as they have been talking, they have been recorded, and then they have gone voice to text basically mm-hmm. so it is as if you are reading or listening to them because it is as they speak well and of course if it's a magic routine i'm writing up the way i did it in the show and mm-hmm. so i'm writing my words that i spoke during the show you record those shows or no. did you then uh, oh, oh yeah occasionally okay I, so how do you remember after a show's I've over got the long memory oh, that's right and, and you do the show yeah you do the show three four hundred times mm-hmm. well, you know there are parts of, of shows that but, i could but there are things that have happened then, David, where a kid yells out something or there's something improvisational that happens. So in those situations, immediately afterwards, do you jot those down so you don't forget them? Sometimes, or okay. I just remember them. You know, <laughs> what a memory. A, a kid, I've got You're a kid blessed. in the Arrowhead box. Okay. And I've got a, a microphone with an on-off switch. Yeah. So I, I turn to him and say, before I close the doors and do this, is there anything you'd like to say? And one kid goes, Help! <laughs> <laughs> and I drive away from that school going, how could I make that happen? Well, you just switch the mic off and say, say, say to him out loud on the mic, is there anything you'd like to say before I close the doors? Click the switch off and whisper, say help. And 95% of them do. Yeah. And that's the way I've developed some routines that these things happen in the show, and then you incorporate right. them in the you show. You make those improvisational things happen. Sure. Mm-hmm. And then I write them into the books and say, this is what happened. And and if you're doing the routine with this uh, particular magic prop, you don't have to go through this. Follow what happened to me and just do it that way. Mm-hmm. And I've had people tell me that they did exactly that. And... Now, we mentioned the libraries a little bit earlier. Uh, we start to wrap up over here. Are there some shows that you are groups you prefer to work for over your time of life that you look back? I really enjoyed performing for Boy Scouts, or I like working for Girl Scouts. Or the last I, 20 years, about 20 years ago, I said, I don't want to work anymore. Middle schools, mm-hmm. high schools are too problematic. I certainly don't want to work any scout shows. I don't want to work any nighttime shows. That kind of narrows it down. Night with my wife, with my family. So I concentrated on purpose and marketed only to elementary schools, kindergarten to the fifth grade, sure. mm-hmm. and church preschools, three, four, and five-year-olds. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found where I live that the church preschool children were better behaved 
than children at a daycare center Interesting. who have only one parent and who are drug around and mm-hmm, dropped off, not nurtured. Yeah. So I stopped doing daycare centers. This is where I live. It mm-hmm. may be different where you live. Um, so I concentrated just on those markets, those three. Well, excuse me, schools, elementary schools, church preschools, and the third one was the library market. And as as I've already said, I've, I've backed out of yes. that now. I've bowed out formally. Children I, are different. I I thought it was a fascinating book and lecture that David Kay had given, a silly Billy, in talking about how that you can do the same trick different ways because of different ages that will react differently. You know, like I've seen that before, but that doesn't mean they don't want to see it again. It's kind of like that familiarity. And 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 you know, he he works more parties. True, he's birthday party guy. And you find birthday parties to be different from school assemblies? I, I do an occasional. Oh, well, yeah, because you at birthday parties, you don't necessarily have crowd control. Hmm. Look at the school. They're sitting with their teachers. Good point. The principal is there. A kid cuts up in one of my school, school shows, he's taken he's out. corrected, correct. He's, mm-hmm. he's disciplined. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a little girl one time, 10-year-old, in front of 300 kids in front of half the school, I handed her the magic wand. She just threw it down on the floor. Hmm. I thought she dropped it. I picked it up, handed it back to her. She just threw it down on the floor again. Hmm. I realized I had a problem. Yeah. And uh, I sped up the routine, got rid of her as quick as I could. Yeah. After the show, they brought her up to me and made her apologize. A week later, I get a letter from her. Wow. Instigated by her teacher and her parents. Mm Mm-hmm apologizing to me that wouldn't happen at a birthday party you've got to be a really foolish child to act up in front of the entire school mm-hmm. the way she did it. i don't know to this day why she did such a thing because to me it's an honor for me to bring you up onto my stage to help me yeah i'm doing you a favor mm-hmm. i'm putting you in the spotlight right I'm making uh, you famous amongst your friends because when you go back, you were the one on stage they're talking to. Suddenly you were famous, yeah. that child, That's because right. you brought a, them up. A girl told me, a, a 35-year-old lady told me one time she had hired me for a couple of her uh, church preschools. Uh-huh. She was a director. She said, when I was 14, I went to this school program, took my little brother on a Saturday morning. It was a magic show. It was you. And you got me up and did Arrowhead. You put mm-hmm. the arrows through my head and brought me out alive. And she said, <laughs> for the next year, people jokingly called me Arrowhead, <laughs> the Arrowhead girl. Yeah. She said, but it gave me status. Sure. I was the Arrowhead girl who had survived, and it, it made me cool. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Right, right. And That's my point. She I grew up to be a very beautiful lady, very attractive, and hired me twice. <laughs> so... Uh, she asked why it was unusual that that little girl threw down. She must have had some other issues. By sticking arrows through their head. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I never went at it from that point of view. Well, that's, a, yeah, that's another title for a book. Well, listen, as we wrap up the, uh, the podcast, the name of it is called The Magic Word Podcast. And so I always like to close by asking my guests, what is it that is your philosophy of life? Philosophy yeah, of life? What is it that you live by? When you wake up in the morning, what drives you? What's, what's important in your life? It's fun. I, I mean... You're asking me top of the head. I haven't had a chance to think about right. this. Um, I mean, you live by you know a certain code, a certain credo that uh, uh, something that uh, well, is important. You, you know, this is, this is a cliche. It's not a word. It's just whatever. The, the the cliche is if you enjoy what you do, you never work a day in your life. Right. Well, I do work. I I saw my grandfather work. My father work. 
and work hard. I have a work ethic. Yeah. I'm not a workaholic, I don't think. My wife might not agree. But I think about magic on a regular basis, um, on a you know daily basis, and I wake up with something to do every day. It's right on the next book. Right. Uh, fill the mail orders, uh, take stuff to the post office. Uh, I'm always busy. So work one day at a time, kind of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, whistle while you work. <laughs> but uh, I, I've just I'd say the bottom line is I have been very blessed with the ability to perform magic, to write about it, and to present it in live lectures. Mm-hmm. And those three things just became my lifelong snowball. Yeah. Um, and I've, I, I've been blessed with the ability to entertain children of all kinds and shapes and colors. And uh, basically, when I finish a show... To some degree, they love me. Mm-hmm. I've had children marching out of a school break out of line and run over and hug me mm-hmm. after a show, just out of the clear blue. That's Nothing great. I did to instigate it Yeah, because they they just love me. Is there a tagline or something you say as you close your show every time? And not, not in the real shows, but I do say something important in my lecture, and I've been saying this for about 20 years, and I, I say... Uh, you know, I talk about entertaining children is more important than than, than fooling them. Mm-hmm. But I say, may God bless you and every child you entertain, because nothing good you do for children is ever wasted. Wow! Now see, and that's those a are little bit of words. Harold Taylor, but it's it's something I picked up years ago mm-hmm. and the idea that everything i do for, first of all is good for children sure. it either teaches them or it entertains them and so everything good that i do for children is never wasted it 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 goes on and on wow that's that's moving Thank you very much, David. I appreciate your time. It's been wonderful catching up. Well, well it's uh, been fun. And, and I, <laughs> I, I'm sure we've left out a few things. Well, uh, and perhaps there might be some people who will write in and say, hey, you should have asked him about this or that, and perhaps we might be well, able to get together again in the future questions, time. enough questions, we, we'll do it again. <laughs> we'll do it again. Until next time. Well, thank, thank you, you very much. That was David Ginn, and this is Scotty Out. Wow, this has been a fun one. Thank you very much, David, for being my guest this week. I have enjoyed uh, our conversation, and also I'm sure the listeners got a lot out of this then as well. David really is one of our national treasures, and he is someone who should be revered in our community because of what he has contributed and continues to contribute. As he mentioned, he has a regular column called Magic and Memories in the Linking Ring. If you're a member of the International Brotherhood of Magicians, be sure to uh, check out his column each month. Very good uh, articles that he writes and, uh, again, picks up some things about Doug Henning that are very interesting stories I think that you would enjoy. And also, again, I want to uh, put in a plug for you to go and check out his website at ginmagicshop.com. Well, thank you again, listeners, for tuning in this week and also for subscribing to the Podletter and what? 
you don't already subscribe? Gosh, join the over 1,000 people who have already subscribed to the Podletter and find out from week to week who it is that's coming on each week and also who's coming up and some suggestions from the archives. Just like this week, I had suggested an episode that we did with the late David Hinkin and also then with Julian Franklin in which we talk about school shows and libraries. This was something that was, oh golly, almost eight years ago, I guess around 2014. Anyhow, that one is recommended that you go back and hear that uh, David was uh, an old Ronald McDonald, in fact. So uh, they have a lot to uh, talk about that as well. So if you enjoy performing for children, I think you'd enjoy that, and also others that are in the archive. So again, subscribe to the pod letter, and you can find out about some of those things then as well. There will not be an episode, by the way, next week. I wanted to let you know that we are celebrating Thanksgiving in the United States, and so I want to give uh, time off for you to enjoy the time with your family without having to take any time during the day to have to download and listen to another one of my podcasts here and my ramblings and my conversations. And so it'll give you a chance maybe to get caught up on some of the past episodes. But we've got some other things coming up that are going to be pretty exciting as we get into the holidays. We will have some holiday gift buying suggestions coming up on the 1st of December. So I'll give you a little sneak preview there. But in the meantime, no episode next week since it will be Thanksgiving here in the United States. And so I want each of you to enjoy your time with your friends and family and also to give thanks for everything that you have. Which brings us to the end of this week's episode, which I say, stay well, get booked, and may God bless you and every child you entertain. Because nothing good you ever do for children is wasted. This is Scotty out. Scotty out.